Hi there. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Father Patrick, and this is our podcast for College Catholics. And just for you to know, I usually record these episodes at our Midas Christi Family Center in Michigan. And there we have a room that is dedicated to media content recording, and the sound treatment is pretty decent. However, this week I'm unable to be there to record, so I'm doing it on the road. I'm preaching a retreat in Chicago this weekend, and in the following days my schedule is pretty packed, so I won't have time to record back at our family center. But because I wanted to put out this episode on time, I'm recording it here in one of the rooms of the retreat house. So you might notice some difference in the sound, but that's because I'm not in my regular setting. So I'm doing my best, and I hope it works out well. Anyway, uh, today I'll be sharing with you some thoughts on the Most Blessed Sacrament, on the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Now, I've rarely traveled across the Atlantic Ocean, actually only twice in my lifetime. And in both cases, I went to lead either a pilgrimage or a retreat. On one of those opportunities, I went to the Holy Land to lead a retreat. But I had an opportunity also to stay a day and a half after the retreat and visit the old city of Jerusalem, and in particular, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. If you want to get some more info on what I'm talking about, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the different parts of it, I put a link to a video in the description below so you can get a glimpse of the inside of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is worth watching and definitely worth visiting at some point in your life. Now, the uniqueness of this church is that it is a very irregular structure that was built and demolished several times and it was built around the most holy sites related to the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord. In fact, all those three places are within the church itself. But there are also many other chapels, and in particular, the Franciscan friars have a sacristy and a chapel with a tabernacle with Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament in it. So when I visited that place... On one particular occasion, I was kneeling in front of the place where the cross of Jesus actually stood. I was trying to meditate and reflect and contemplate on the incredible grace that it is for me to be in such an amazing place, a place that is awesome for anyone in all humanity. So people were praying, kneeling, some were kissing the ground, touching the rock where the cross of Jesus stood, and as I was there, a couple of people walked right in front of the site of the crucifixion, but they walked very casually, as if they were walking along in a shopping mall or some sort of other building. So they were looking around, you know, walking a bit aimlessly and almost without knowing what was going on all around them. So then they happened to get where I was, and for some reason I was dressed as a priest, so they asked me, what was the most holy place in that building? If it was up, the, up here, pointing at the place where our Lord was crucified, or maybe down there where those other people were, pointing at the place where Jesus was buried and rose from the dead, or maybe over there when those, where those votive lamps were, and so forth. Right. So I realized by the way they were speaking that they were not Christian. So I explained what each of those places were and why each one was important. However, at the same time, I was thinking that all those places are very holy. But the reason why they are very holy is because our Lord either was crucified there 
or because he died in that place, or because he rose from the dead, you know, in that same place. So these are very holy places. However, he himself is not anymore in any of them. However, he is physically present in one place, and that is, uh, even in the, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, that is the chapel that has the tabernacle and the Blessed Sacrament in it. So in the deepest sense, the holiest place is where the Holy Eucharist is. And while there is a good amount of people there, it is typically not so appreciated, especially by the tourists. And in fact, Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament is also present at your local church. So that chapel, that tabernacle in your local parish church, is infinitely holier than any of the stones or the building sites or places touched by our Lord. Because the Holy Eucharist is Jesus himself. As the Catechism says in number 1374, in the Most Blessed Sacrament of the Eucharist, the body and blood, together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the whole Christ, is truly, really, and substantially contained. And of course, Jesus himself is the source of all holiness, the source of all goodness, of all grace, and of all perfection, because he is God himself. So he is holier than the things that were made holy by being in contact with him. But as an introduction to the explanation of what the real presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist is, let me give you some of the symbols which God himself gave to humanity in the Old Testament so as to prepare humanity to receive such a huge gift as the Eucharist, both in these witnesses, these uh, prophecies and these elements, these symbols, were given both in the Old and the New Testament as well. So in the Old Testament, there are many prophecies, many signs, many symbols, also called foreshadowings, foreshadowings of Jesus Christ, also of the Catholic Church, foreshadowings of the sacraments, and many other realities of the New Testament. And these are called types, or foreshadowings, or signs, and they are realities that have a prophetic meaning. They are realities in the Old Testament that kind of point toward Right? They prepare the people for the realities that will appear, that will come in the New Testament with the coming of Christ. In this sense, there, there are realities in the Old Testament that point toward, particularly, the Holy Eucharist. For example, in the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis 28, 10, we read that Jacob, at one point, was traveling away from his home and found himself out in the wilderness, and there in the wilderness, he had to spend the night. So as he slept, he had a dream. And in that dream, he saw a stairway going from the point where he was to an opening in heaven where God was. And he saw the angels of God going up and down that staircase. And God spoke to, ja God spoke to Jacob from the top of, the of that staircase. So when he woke up, he said to himself, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place! This is truly 
the house of God and the gate of heaven. And that's a symbol of the Eucharist because that's what the tabernacle is. That little box or house where the Eucharist is kept in our churches, God is in that place. So that little tabernacle is the house of God. And it is truly the doorway to heaven because heaven is where God is. Also in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, while the people of Israel were about to be freed from the slavery to Egypt, they had to eat the Paschal lamb, a lamb that had to be sacrificed the day before. None of its bones could be broken. Its blood had to be smeared on the doorposts of their houses so that the destroying angel would spare those living in that household. And then they, the, the lamb had to be eaten during the supper on the 14th day of the month of Nisan. That lamb was a symbol of Jesus Christ, who was crucified and sacrificed for our sins. And the eating of the lamb was a foreshadowing or a type of Holy Communion, because that's what we do after the sacrifice of Christ on the Mass. Another Old Testament type or foreshadowing was the manna in the desert. The people of God, which itself was a foreshadowing of the Catholic Church, the people of God then had to travel through the desert, and as they went from Egypt toward the Promised Land in Palestine, they passed right through several years in the desert. While they were in that desert, and we read it in the book of Exodus, chapter 16, they were in danger of dying of hunger. So God provided some quail for them to eat flesh, and also a mysterious sort of white stuff that they called manna, that they could bake into cakes of bread and eat for their sustenance during their journey through the desert. So this is a type or foreshadowing of Holy Communion, this spiritual bread, we could call it, although it's the body of Christ, that strengthens us spiritually during our journey through this life as we walk, hopefully, toward heaven. And there are other foreshadowings related to the Eucharist. But the last one that I'd like to share with you is the one that is the Ark of the Covenant. Right in the book of Exodus, chapter 37, we read how God instructed Moses to build a large wooden box which would be covered in gold that would accompany the people of Israel during the sojourn in the desert until they arrived to the Promised Land. In that ark, which was a large box, Moses had put the tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments, that are symbols of God's covenant with his people. And later, they also kept the rod of Aaron and some manna inside. In that sense, the ark was the place where God's presence was manifested And it was the focal point of God's communication with Moses. Every time that Moses wanted to speak to God, he would come to the presence of the ark. In that sense, it was a symbol of the future reality of the Blessed Sacrament, because in the Blessed Sacrament, Jesus Christ, the God-made man, is present, and in that way, he manifests his will and his love to us. He showers his graces upon us. He speaks to those who visit him in so many ways. He is present among us. So those are some of the symbols or foreshadowings of the Eucharist and the Old Testament. Now if we move on to the New Testament, there are also different ways in which God prepared us 
or taught us about his most holy sacrament. Now, they are no longer properly speaking called foreshadowings or types, but they are different ways in which Jesus taught and prepared his disciples to receive this amazing mystery of the Holy Eucharist. And there's many, I'm just going to summarize the most important ones that I think. The first one is the wedding feast at Cana. You can read in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 2, verse 1, uh, all about it. There are these hosts of the wedding that ran out of wine in the middle of the party, and the Virgin Mary and Jesus who were there, right, the Virgin Mary, asked our Lord to help them. And after a little back and forth between the Virgin Mary and Jesus Christ, Jesus decided to help them out, and he performed his first visible and outstanding miracle. So he asked the servants to fill up some six stone jars with water, each of them having around 30 gallons of water. So that's a total of 80, uh, sorry, 180 gallons of water. That's a lot of water. And then he blessed them and miraculously transformed all that water into wine and a very good quality wine. Now, this is a symbol of the Eucharist, first of all, because wine would be one of the main elements used in the institution of the Eucharist. Secondly, because of the generosity of the amount that was used. Because in the Eucharist, our Lord makes himself and his presence available everywhere in the world, wherever there's a Catholic priest. And he multiplies himself to give himself in communion to as many people as are willing to receive him. And finally, the symbol of the Eucharist, because just as the Lord was able to transform water into wine, and wine of the best quality, so he prepares our minds to accept another transformation, that of the bread into his body and wine into his blood, something that is only possible thanks to his divine power. The second prefiguration in the gospel is the multiplication of the loaves of bread, which happened at least twice, and one of them is presented in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 6. There the Lord fed 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread, again preparing his disciples for another bread that he would give, the bread that would be his body. And in the same chapter 6 of St. John, starting at around verse 51, our Lord presented the truth of the Eucharist, no longer as a symbol, but as a real promise and a teaching. He clearly taught that he would give us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink. And these are the words that he used in chapter 6 of St. John, verse 51. The bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And later, in verse 54, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will, raise him at the, I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So, and one last clear teaching of our Lord with regard to the Holy Eucharist happened at the moment of the institution of the Most Holy Sacrament itself during the Last Supper. There our Lord took bread and said, as we read in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 26, verse 26, 
take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup with wine and said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So note that our Lord didn't say this symbolizes my body, symbolizes my bread, my blood. But he said, this is my body and this is my blood. So it was very, very clear what our Lord meant. And also in the New Testament, although after the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have something that St. Paul says, right? And he writes in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 16, ratifying and confirming the teaching on the Holy Eucharist. And he writes, The cup of the blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So, those are the words of St. Paul that are also very clear. So, these are some of the biblical foundations for the teaching on the Eucharist. Now, of course, the revelation of God doesn't come to us just by the Bible alone, but through Scripture and tradition. And in the Church Fathers, there's a unanimous consent among all the Church Fathers that in the Eucharist, after the consecration of the Mass, there is no longer bread and wine, but the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of our Lord. And this is what we see uh, crystallized in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that we read mm, a little earlier. So we will leave uh, all the um, further explanation of, on the Eucharist for next episode, in which we will speak about what is the meaning of the word transubstantiation, and in what sense this bread and wine that we receive in the Eucharist and communion is actually the body and blood of Christ. And also some other more important consequences for you and your life of such a crucial and key teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the Catholic Church. So thanks for sticking around today. I hope this episode helped a little bit to increase your devotion to the Holy Eucharist. Please share this episode with your friends and also try to encourage others to love our Lord in the Eucharist and to spend some time in adoration before the most holy Eucharist, the most blessed sacrament of the altar. May God bless you, and we will see you next time.